Hello, and welcome to the KC Disciples Regional Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Smith-McKee. This is a podcast aimed at sharing what we have happening in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, here in the greater Kansas City region. We're coming to you this week from DMA, the Disciples Ministers Gathering that took place on December 8th at Eastgate Christian Church. If you weren't there, you missed a wonderful sermon from Cindy Molini of Dearborn Christian Church. Well, I guess you didn't miss it. That's what this podcast is for. Cindy reflected on Isaiah 35, the gardens coming from deserts, and what being in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ has meant for her. I hope you enjoy her powerful message this week. Our scripture this morning is from the prophet Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the Holy Way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I always pay attention to the date of um, any given day that I'm asked to, to speak, and I want to say it's really an honor that I'm here today. And as you listen to a little bit of the story of what I have to say, you'll get 
in a big way why this is such an honor for me. But December 8th, in the tradition of which I was raised, it's a holy day of obligation. It's uh, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which, um, let's see, the cliff notes on that are simply that um, the tradition acknowledges that Mary, the mother of God, was sinless, and sinless in every way, including her conception, which was not in the normal human manner, okay? So December 8th is the feast of honoring that the mother of God was so above being human. Uh, yes, she was human, but in order for us to understand who Jesus is, we had to have Mary be also awesome and amazing. Okay, so that's a piece of it, and I was paying attention to that, thinking about that. And I, and I haven't honored the Feast of the Immaculate Conception for several years. But there, there are Catholic churches all over town today where there will be the devout who will be witness to that piece of the larger tradition. But December 8th is also, for me, uh, the anniversary of the passing of one of my biggest mentors in this life. December 8th, 1995, my very dear, dear friend, Tom Corcamus, died from complications of the AIDS virus in New York City. In 1976, when I was 18, okay, you can do the math. I'm just so happy to be getting old. Yeah. In 1976, when I was 18, Tom hired me out of my high school graduation class to work with him, alongside of him, in the Catholic community of Merced, California. I was there a semester, which was kind of like an internship, but we didn't call it that then. Uh, I was there a semester, and then I decided that, you know, you had to have more schooling if you're going to do this, and which is when I went to Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. But Tom had wanted, uh, more than anything, to be ordained a priest. The only major problem, and I'm going to say the problem was for the church, was that he was openly um, acknowledging his own sexuality, his, his um, sexual orientation. One seminary after another, the, the semester I was out there with him, he was 24 and I was 18. He kept applying and everybody turned him down because he was open about it. I remember that one seminary said, you know, Tom, we would love to have you, but we don't have anybody in our community who can take you on. And it wasn't, that comment wasn't really about his sexuality. It was about his fierceness. And I think those who have been rejected many times can cultivate a certain kind of fierceness, if you understand that. I bring this anniversary today into my reflection because all these years I have been looking for the holy way, as Isaiah speaks of today, where there is fearlessness, where there is homecoming, and where there is more grace than chaos. I've been looking. Tom invited me, I just want to say as a high school student, to participate along with him in a ministry that was not, how, how shall we say, uh, not mainstream. I don't know what that means, really. Since he was officially rejected as an ordained minister in our denomination, he set about to find a different way. He was our youth pastor 
and this was in southeast Kansas, and he had five churches, five small Catholic churches. He took us on field trips outside of that small town experience. He took us to Lansing to the prison where we met with people so that we could see up close and personal, and these were his words, what it meant in our society for people to be incarcerated, to see what punishment, he said, what that looks like in our society. He took us to a soup kitchen in the heart of Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, the Holy Family Catholic Worker House, where we volunteered and we just stood and stared at what we had never seen up close and personal, which was hunger of a deep kind and alienation and addiction just passing in front of us. Our instructions from Tom, interact with people, say hello, strike up a conversation. Yeah, right, we had no idea what to do. <laughs> he wrote out permission slips for us to protest against the building of the Wolf Creek nuclear power plant uh, down south, it's near Burlington, Kansas. Uh, let's just say that the parents didn't sign. Uh, my dad worked there. He was a part of the electrical crew that helped build Wolf Creek. And yet uh, Tom and another priest friend of mine uh, tied themselves to railroad tracks where um, the components for this nuclear power plant were coming in. And we watched Tom get arrested. My parents says, what kind of youth minister is this that he's in jail? He got our youth group then to sing for funerals when people didn't have much family. It's a small town, but sometimes there were people kind of just like we know that, sort of unattached. We sang for several funerals. One Ash Wednesday, we fasted for 24 hours, uh, not eating anything, only taking fluids. We thought we were dying. And then we prepared a meal, a tuna casserole. It was Ash Wednesday, no meat. We prepared a meal for our families before we ate anything. And then Tom took us on retreats. I think there were three per year that we did, my junior and senior year in high school, at a Carmelite monastery out on the prairie. He was convinced that if we didn't have any spiritual depth, we wouldn't have the ability to take on all these other issues. Many of my peers, I must note, uh, thought he was nuts. I thought he was awesome. I thought he was clear. I thought that his rejection, despite his rejection by our institutional church, that he was on the highway of truth. Right before he died, our family, my two small kids, my husband, we went to New York to visit him. I didn't think he was that sick but he gave me instructions for his funeral two weeks later, on December 8th. I went back to New York, to Greenwich Village, to officiate at my first funeral. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't in a home. It wasn't in any neutral kind of place at all. It was at the Dew Drop Inn in Greenwich Village, which is a bar. He had told me to read scripture. He gave me instructions about that, but he said, I'll need T.S. Eliot, Cindy, and I'll need E.E. E. Cummings. <laughs> Got it, Tom. 
and he says, we won't have communion in the regular way. Of course, there'll be nobody there who can protest because none of them will show up. He said, but I want you uh, to all have a shot of Jack Daniels at the bar, and I want the toast that I tried to do my best. I looked up at that gathering. There were a couple hundred people at the Dew Drop Inn in Greenwich Village on that day in December, and they were gay couples, and they were artists, and they were writers, and they were people from the street, and I knew that this was Tom's church. I knew that this was the way he gathered people faithfully to him because he had been called from the beginning by the God we know and trust. And yet it didn't look like it. I just have to say, dear friends, that moment, it really shook me. It shook me the distance between what we say is ministry and what is actually church. I went in search of the promise that we hear today from Isaiah. A search for newness, a search for integrity, a search for a faith life that incorporated, that welcomed those who were deemed unworthy. Ironically, as a woman with degrees in religious studies from a couple of different Catholic universities, I was also on the outs. Gratefully, I worked alongside some really generous clergy people. I remember in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Father Vince Hoeing uh, of the Precious Blood Order of Priests, kind of a crazy name, but such a dear man, he would always say to me, Cindy, you have a way of saying things that's so much better than I do. So, you know, like after communion, I'm just going to give you the nod and I want you to get up here and uh, talk about the youth group, about so-and-so who just died, about what we're doing for adult education. I just want you to do that. And he said, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be gone for six months on a sabbatical. And he says, and we'll have pulpit supply. We'll have someone here on Sunday. But in between... Uh, I want you to do these communion services, and I just want you to do them. And I did, and it was really interesting. And when Vince got back, he was in so much trouble. <laughs> and this is what they said. They said, Vince, Cindy can read the scriptures, but she can't say anything about them. He didn't agree. He kept asking me to do stuff. But here's also what happened. One can develop an edge, and a few of you might know about that. One can develop an edge, an anger, a defiance, when continually relegated to being called unworthy. I found this to be true for me, too. It was the shadow side of me trying to do the right thing. So what that meant is I finally left the parish work to the fellas. And I found my way as a teacher. I was a chaplain. I was a counselor for young people. There was plenty of work right in front of me. It's all God's work, right? And yet many of you know about this too. There is a persistent call, a voice within that keeps prodding. The voice suggested that I uh, get on the road, a road beyond exile, 
beyond estrangement from what I felt called to do and called to be. Which is why this glorious poem this morning from Isaiah sings, everything in creation works to bring about wholeness, to bring life, to bring nourishment, to open the way for God to be known. We are required, we are required, let me repeat this, to get over ourselves, to steady our hands, our knees, our fearful hearts. Here is your God coming with vengeance, with terrible recompense coming to save you. Ironically, it was a former Catholic priest who invited me to a gathering at St. Andrew Christian Church. Many of you know him, Tom Mingus. It was a conversation with other struggling Catholics about how we might find a new way. This was not a proselytizing conversation. Rather, it was an invitation just to look at possibilities of being a part of a community of faith that was offering to take us as we were. We were literally wandering in the desert. We were wearing shoes that no longer fit. We were outcast. We were aggrieved. We were angry. We were lonely for community. We were starving. About a dozen of us became active participants of St. Andrew. I was invited to lead a class. I was invited to lead a woman's retreat. I was invited to be a whole person, no longer unworthy because of my gender. I was invited to consider full-time ministry in the Disciples of Christ. I am here today to remind you, that you of what you have and who you are. It is a wonder and it is a grace and it is a highway it is a holy way. A few of you know this because you too have come from places where you were refugees. Maybe it takes those of us who have come in from the cold to remind you that you are living in a blooming desert. Do you hear me? This is a place not defined by dogma. No creed but Christ. Imagine that. This is a place that takes seriously this Lord's table. No fencing, no secret handshakes. All are welcome, and you mean it. Dangerously so. This is a place that is trying to move the goalpost out even further. I've been watching with fascination. Our church pews are likely, in some places, not as crowded as they used to be. But I think we're figuring out how to prop open the front door. Frankly, I've noticed that we're spending more time on the front porch, on the sidewalk, in coffee shops, more time on the edges, looking for those who are also looking for a light in the window. This is really the good news. This is the gospel truth. We are a movement of wholeness in a broken world. And we are moving. We are one by one learning how to be a different kind of church. A church that embraces, 
a church that embraces those on the edges, a church that lives in neighborhoods, that brings creativity, cooperation to the building of God's reign in our midst. We are no longer waiting for the throngs of people to show up at our doors. We're going out, and we're extending a hand. And I want to tell you that I believe so sincerely that there is a middle space that's waiting for us to create it. It looks a lot like a desert in bloom. It looks a lot like a community garden in the urban ghetto. It looks a lot like a potluck supper with children and old people and those who think they don't fit anywhere. Ah, but they do. They are leaping and singing and getting free and coming home. Let us today thank the Spirit of God who is showing us a holy way. Let us pray together for strong hands, for firm knees, for steady hearts. Amen. 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 Music was provided by Ryan Motter of the Smithville First Christian Church. Join us for the next DMA on January 12th at Country Club Christian Church. Amy Shoemaker will be presenting on her work as a spiritual director and have some helpful exercises for pastors. Join us next week here on the podcast for Bill Roseheim and a pastoral message going into our Christmas time. Thank you for listening. See you next time.